seated. Well, amen. I'm so thankful there's no grave could hold his body down, aren't you? We're in Mark chapter 16 this morning, so if you'll turn on or turn in to Mark chapter 16, and while you're turning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, and some of you just does not apply, but how many of you went to school at J.V. Martin Junior High School? Anybody? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, good. You know, some of you don't know that experience, but whenever I went to J.V. Martin Junior High School, they had a little white building behind the school. It's known as the White Building. And we had class in that little white building on a hot summer day or hot spring day or whatever. They would just raise the windows and you just let the air blow through. But about 100 yards, maybe from that white building, was a train track. And you know, when we first started having class in that building, you'd hear that train coming down that track. And I mean, that noise would be distracting, but it would also be deafening. But do you know what happened after we sat in that classroom day after day? Do you know what happened when that train came down the road or track? We didn't even notice it any longer. I mean, it's almost like background noise. You just kind of lose uh, interest in it. You don't have any, have any notice of it anymore. Anybody who lives near a train track can tell you that you just get used to the noise after a while. and You don't hear it. You don't notice it. When I was thinking about Easter, I think that's what Easter has become for a lot of people. We're no longer, uh, you know, inspired by the resurrection. It's almost become like background noise. We've already heard that story before, and so it no longer excites us or it moves us. It's like a footnote at the bottom of your page. And so sometimes, and we've heard the story so many times, it just doesn't ignite enthusiasm and excitement in us. And you know, some people don't get excited about the resurrection, but it is the single most important event that has ever took place in history. Not just human history, but in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, you know, the greatest discovery that was ever made was when women went to that tomb and found it empty on a Sunday morning, just like this morning. The greatest moment ever was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know, there are people today who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, he rose spiritually, but not bodily. I was listening a few years ago, I was listening on the radio, and I heard a conversation between a, a, a a Unitarian minister and an atheist by the name of Christopher Hitchens, who's no longer living now. But this so-called Unitarian minister said to this atheist, and this is what she said. She said, I'm a liberal Christian. She said, I don't take the stories from Scripture literally. She said, for example, I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins. And she said, whenever I preach about Easter and the resurrection, it's just in a metaphorical sense. I don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection. And I want you to listen to what this atheist, Christopher Hitchens, said to her in reply. He said this, well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead by his sacrifice, that your sins are forgiven, then you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Now, this is an atheist speaking. He knew, he knew more and understood more about the bodily resurrection than a, a wannabe minister. Now, this lady said that the resurrection of Jesus was just a metaphor. Now, let me just say, if Jesus did not bodily rise from the grave, he is a dead Savior. And a dead Savior can't save anybody. He would still be dead if he did not rise from the grave bodily. You know what made Good Friday such a good day? The resurrection. If there were no resurrection, then Good Friday would not be good, would it? 
You know, you often wonder about Good Friday. Why do we say it's good? Because of the resurrection on Sunday morning. The theologian, John Stott, said it this way. Christianity, in its very essence, is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. Because the resurrection is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. It is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And so this morning, I want to consider the power of the resurrection in Mark chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's look there in verse 1. And it says, Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene... Now, Mary was called Mary Magdalene because she was from the town of Magdala. You know, uh, uh, just a year ago, we took a group to Israel, and we went to the very town where Mary Magdalene was from. We went to Magdala. Well, there's, that's, that's why they called her Mary Magdalene. It says that Mary Magdalene and the Mary mother of James. Now, there are a lot of Marys in the Bible. And there were a lot of Jameses in the Bible. There were two disciples who were named James. One of them was the brother of John, James and John. And then the other one, he was known as James the Less. Well, this is James the Less's mother. They called him James the Less because he was a short man. And so he was James the Less. And so the mother of James the Less... And Mary Magdalene and Salome, the mother of James and John, these ladies brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, it says something very interesting. It says that an angel rolled that stone away. And you know what he did after he rolled it away? He sat on it. You know what I think he was thinking? I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to be sitting right here when these ladies come to this tomb. I can't wait to see the expression on their faces. I'm not moving. I'm sitting right here on this stone. And so the Bible says in Matthew that this angel sat on the stone. And in verse 5, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. They were afraid. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly, and they fled from the tomb. For they, they, were, they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were fearful. Now listen to verse 9, kind of, kind of recalculates. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told, these, uh, told those who had been with Jesus as they mourned and wept. And when, he, when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they did not believe. You just need to underscore, they did not believe. And then in verse 12, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. You just need to underscore, they did not believe them either. And then in verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then skip down to verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. 
the Lord was working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. Amen. Let it be so. The Bible says over and over and over that the disciples did not believe. The very first obstacle that Jesus had after his resurrection was to convince his own disciples that he was alive. They didn't believe. You know, the women who went to the tomb that morning, they didn't go believing that Jesus was alive either. You know why? Because they saw what happened to Jesus. They were there whenever Jesus was beaten with the cat of nine tails. His body mutilated as they plucked his beard from his face. They were there when they took Jesus and nailed him to a cruel Roman crucifixion. And then they watched him as he hung in the sky that day for six hours in the desert heat. And they saw the Roman soldiers as they took that spear and they thrust it through his side and it pierced the pericardial sac and that water and the blood flowed out. They were there. They didn't go to the tomb thinking Jesus was alive. They went there thinking that he was dead. Because they were witnesses. And when the disciples had heard that Jesus was risen, they thought it was just a joke. It's just a tale. They didn't really believe it. And you would have trouble believing it too because you don't see that happen every day. Verse 14, Jesus rebuked the disciples because of their hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You know, this morning I could talk to you about the proof of the resurrection. We could spend a long time this morning talking about the evidence and the proof for the resurrection. I mean, for example, there were the eyewitness accounts. The disciples saw Jesus. The women who went to the tomb that day, they saw the resurrected Jesus. The Bible says that over 500 people saw Jesus at one time alive. They saw him. They ate with him. They touched him. They knew that Jesus was alive. So we have eyewitness accounts. And, and, and really, within just a matter of days of the resurrection, the disciples went out into the streets and they began to preach the resurrection. And nobody could refute it. Because they had no body. Some people claim that, you know, Jesus really never rose from the dead. Some skeptics will say, you know, these women, they were, they were disoriented. It was dark and they were discouraged and distraught. And they just went to the wrong tomb. And that was what the problem was. If you believe that, then you have to also believe that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. That the Romans' guards went to the wrong tomb. And the only thing that had to happen to prove them wrong was for these Pharisees to take them to the right tomb and show them Jesus' body. But they couldn't do it because he was risen. Some skeptics will say, you know, Jesus didn't really die on the cross at all. They say that he was just in a coma for three days. Now this is what they want you to believe. That Jesus was in that tomb in a coma for three days. And on the third day, he woke up from that coma, all battered, just mortally wounded. He woke up from that coma. He unwrapped himself from those grave clothes and that hundred pounds of spices that were put on him to anoint his body. He unwrapped himself, and despite all of his blood loss, despite all of his injuries, he rolled that 2,000-pound stone away from the door. He snuck past those Roman guards, and he went to his disciples who were seated in the upper room, and he just met them there. One woman heard that theory, and she wrote a, a question and answer uh, piece to a, a people who respond to people's questions about spiritual matters, and this is what she wrote. She said, Dear Sirs, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus didn't die, but that he was just in a coma, and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed, Bewildered. A few days later, a reply came back in the mail, and it said this, Dear Bewildered, Beat your, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails, with heavy uh, 39 lashes. Nail him to a cross. 
let him hang in the sun for six hours, thrust a spear through his side, put him in an in a airless tomb for three days and see what happens. Signed, Charles. <laughs> Jesus was as dead as dead can be. Some people say, well, you know, the disciples just stole the body of Jesus. And then they just told everybody that he had risen from the grave. Do you realize how ridiculous that statement really is? I mean, do you know what would have happened had they stole the body? Those Roman soldiers would have hunted them down. And they would have said to Peter, Peter, you tell us where that body is or we're going to chop your head off. And Peter would say, oh, wait, wait, guys, just put down your swords. Let's just relax. Stay calm. Everybody's okay. Listen, if you just let me go, I'll tell you where the body is. That's what Peter would have done. That's not what Peter did. We know from history that Peter died a crucifixion, a cruel upside-down crucifixion because he would not stop preaching the resurrection. He believed in the resurrection until the day he died. He never recanted the story. And so if somebody had stolen the body, they would have given it up. They would have fessed up. I think about how all the disciples, every single one of them were tortured. They were all martyred except for the Apostle John. Why? Because they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believed it. They believed in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Now you might be here this morning you say, well, Pastor Jamie, really? People die for what they believe all the time, don't they? Well, sure they do. People die for what they believe to be true. But I don't know very many people who will die for what they know to be a lie. And the disciples knew firsthand whether or not Jesus was resurrected or not. And under that kind of torture, at least one, if not all of them, would have spilled the beans. Some of you might remember President Richard Nixon and the Watergate scandal. Now, that was before my time. But I've heard about it. I've read about it. But Richard Nixon's administration got caught bugging his opponent's uh, phone calls. He got, they got caught breaking into their uh, campaign offices and stealing reports and, and, um, and documents. Now that kind of scandal today wouldn't even make them blush, I don't think, in Washington. But at that time, it was a serious offense. And one of Nixon's most trusted special counsel members was a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson went to prison for that Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson said later, he said, I know that the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. Now you say, well, how did that happen? He said, here's how. He said, because 12 disciples testified that they had seen Jesus alive, resurrected, and they proclaimed that same truth for 40 years, and none of them ever changed their story. They were tortured, they were beaten, they were stoned, they were put in prison, and most of them killed, but they never changed their story. He said they would not have endured it if it had not been true. He said Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in Washington, D.C., and they could not keep alive for three weeks. Isn't that true? He said the Watergate scandal proved to him that the resurrection is indeed a fact. Now, I could talk to you for a while about the proof of the resurrection, but what I really want to talk to you this morning about is the power of the resurrection. Have you ever considered the power of the resurrection? Have you ever thought about the power that was unleashed when that stone was rolled away? Resurrection power. You know, I want to talk to you this morning about the matchless, immeasurable, unquantifiable resurrection power that was unleashed that particular Sunday morning. 
You know, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and I hope this is your heartbeat. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what I want in my life, to know that kind of power. You know, we always try to measure the power of natural phenomenon. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we want to measure the power of an earthquake. And so we have a Richter scale. And we measure the power of an earthquake. And that scale can be from zero to eight plus. But I have read where if there's an earthquake that registers five on that scale, then you can feel it globally to some extent. We like to measure the power of a volcano. And we use the volcanic explosive index. Some of you might remember Mount St. Helens that, that erupt, erupted a number of years ago in 1980. And they kind of classified that as a number five on that index. And somebody said, you know, to compare Mount St. Helens, a number five on that index, to a number eight on that index would be like comparing a firecracker to someone carrying a case of C4 explosives. He said it's about a thousand times greater. That's power. We like to measure, vol- uh, I mean, excuse me, we like, we like to measure uh, hurricanes, and we do it from categories, one through five. And a category five has a, a, a over 155 mile per hour sustained winds, and it's catastrophic, whatever it hits, to life and property. We like to categor- categorize uh, tornadoes, and we use it by the Fujita scale or the F scale. And an F6 tornado has the potential of having over 300 mile per hour winds. In 1984, an F4 ripped through the little town of Bennettsville, South Carolina. Some of you might remember that. It leveled every building that it came in contact with. It snapped off pine trees like they were toothpicks. I heard that the power of that tornado was so strong that it took a flimsy old pine needle and drove it through a pine tree. Now that's power. That's power. But whenever the Apostle Paul says, I want to know the the resurrection power of, of Christ... There is no standard. There is no scale that can ever measure it. There is no standard. Jesus doesn't just uh, go off the chart. He transcends all the scales. That's how powerful the resurrection is. And the only way that Paul could measure God's power was to refer to it as resurrection power. That's power. You know what kind of power that is? It's the power that takes a dead man and makes him live again. Not just for a moment, but for eternity. That's resurrection power. Now, I read where someone said, and I didn't verify this, but that a hurricane has one thousandth the power of a nuclear warhead. And a nuclear warhead has one millionth the power of an explosion on the surface of the sun. And that the sun has one billionth the power of an exploding supernova. Tim Keller asked this question. How do we describe the power of God? Do we say that it's the power of a hundred supernovas? Or a million supernovas? Or a billion, billion supernovas? How do we describe the power of God? Paul used the only standard he could. The power of the resurrection. You know what's amazing? The Apostle Paul said that if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, he says that the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. That kind of power. Do you know that kind of resurrection power? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and he lives in me. Romans 8, 11 says, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now you let that marinate for just a moment. Resurrection power. 
Now I ask myself this week, what does the resurrection power look like when it's unleashed in mine and your life? I want to give you five things real quick. Number one, resurrection power will give you the power of peace in your life. Look at Mark 16, 6. But the angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is risen and he is not here. Now the the angel said to these ladies, do not fear. I mean, they were terrified. If you walked up on a, 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 an empty tomb with an angel sitting on a stone, you'd be terrified too. And they were alarmed. They were fearful. And this angel says, do not be afraid. He spoke peace to them. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 4, when the Roman guards saw that angel, Matthew gave a description He said the guards shook for fear of the angel. And they became like dead men. Now these are tough, brawny, hardcore, seasoned soldiers who became like dead men. In other words, they fainted at the the appearance of an angel. And yet this angel says to these women, do not be afraid. He spoke peace to them. So what does that mean for you and me? It means this. Whatever life blew your way, Whatever scary thing you're facing in life. Whatever heartache you're dealing with. You can have the power of peace in your life because of the resurrection. Some of you are facing cancer. Some of you are facing some kind of surgery. Some of you may be facing a job loss. Some of you may be facing some other kind of heartache. I think you hear the words from Jesus, do not fear, I am risen. The power of the resurrection gives you peace no matter what the storms of life blow your way. And I want to give you a verse, Isaiah 43.1, it's a wonderful verse. In Isaiah 43.1 it says this, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? Because he is with you. That's a promising verse. That's an encouraging verse. We have the power of peace because we belong to Christ. Second thing I want you to notice is that Resurrection power gives you the power of purity. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died to make you pure. But whenever he rose from the grave, he made your forgiveness sure. Your forgiveness is sure, and he confirmed it by the resurrection. I kind of like how Watchman Nee put it. Watchman Nee was a a, a Chinese believer who came to know Christ in communist China. He spent 20 years in prison for, for preaching Christ. He said it this way. Our old history ends with the cross, and our new history begins with the resurrection. Isn't that a good word? Now, you might be here listening this morning. You think, you know, I wish I could know that forgiveness. I wish I could have that kind of purity. You might be saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what kind of things I've done. I've been a terrible person. I've done some terrible things. God can't really purify me. He can't cleanse me. I've been so bad. I've had an abortion. I've committed adultery. I've got this addiction that I can't ever get free from. I wish God could make me pure, but there's no hope for me. 
And I don't know what you're doing right now, but I want you to listen up here real quick. God can take the most filthy, vile sinner and save them. God has the power to do that through his resurrection power. You know, I want you to remember who the very first person that saw the resurrected Jesus. Do you know who the very first person that saw the resurrected Jesus? You know, it wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't, it wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't even his disciples. It was a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. All four Gospels say that she was at the tomb that day. Now you might be thinking, well, she must have been some type of super spiritual person. She must have been some type of wonderful saint. She must have been like a Mother Teresa to, to be there. And to be the very first person who saw the resurrected Lord. But we just read about that she was a woman who was a demoniac. She was, she was captivated by seven demons. She was a wicked woman before she met Jesus. Filled with all these demons. Can you imagine what kind of wicked things those demons would have coerced her to do? To pollute her spiritually? To pollute her morally? To pollute her uh, emotionally? And spiritually? Some people think that maybe she was a prostitute. I don't know if she was or not. But I can only imagine that those demons would have loved to have, have her defile her body in such a way. Yeah, I could see those demons doing that to her. But this was a woman who was mired in sin. This was a woman who was captivated by demons. And yet Jesus forgave her. And allowed her to be the very first person who saw him alive. The power of the resurrection can purify the very worst sinner. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, it's true for her. I can see that. She didn't know any better. She was demon possessed. And you might be thinking, but that's not me. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to vacation Bible school every year. I went to Camp Pine Hill. I went to Dillon Christian School. God can't forgive me for what I've done because I've turned my back on God. Maybe that's you this morning. I just, I've walked away from God. I've distanced myself from God, even though I know better. God can never, never heal me. I want you to look back at verse 7 for a moment. It says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. Why would he name Peter specifically? Because Peter was there with Jesus, with all the other disciples on the night of the Passover. They were having that meal together. And there was Peter talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I will die for you and I will die with you. I'm willing to go to my grave with you. Bold and confident. Peter didn't know that very night that Jesus would be arrested. And when Jesus was arrested that very night, all of a sudden, the heat came down. And the Apostle Peter didn't feel so confident. And so he began to get fearful. When it came time to walk the talk, he couldn't do it. And so Peter deserted Jesus. And Peter didn't just desert Jesus. What did he do? He denied him. Not one time. Not two times. But three times. And I don't know if you know the story, but whenever Jesus was arrested, Peter, he followed Jesus at a distance to see what was going to happen. As he was following Jesus to see what was taking place, people recognized Peter. And they said, oh, I know you. Aren't you one of his followers? He said, who, me? No, I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. I don't follow him. He denied him three times. I can only imagine what went through Peter's mind when he heard that Jesus had resurrected from the grave. I can only imagine what went through his mind. He probably thought, you know, that sounds wonderful and all, but I just don't I don't think Jesus is ever going to forgive me for what I did. 
I don't think Jesus is ever going to forgive me for how I turned my back on him and how I deserted him and how I denied him. I don't think he ever will. The power of the resurrection can cleanse the most wicked sinner and it can restore the most wayward saint. No matter who we are. Maybe you've deserted your relationship with Christ. Maybe you've denied Jesus by your words and by your actions. Maybe you've walked away from God and you're, you've drifted. You need to return and come back. He will restore you. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Jesus restored him. And did you know that just a matter of days after the resurrection, Peter was the very one preaching on the day of Pentecost. And this is what he said. Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. And when you repent and put your faith in him, he will forgive you. That was the message. So we have the power of purity through the resurrected Lord. We also have power over your passing. You say, power over your passing? Well, when I think about somebody passing, I think of them dying, right? I mean, we don't like to use the word somebody died. We don't say, well, you know, so-and-so died. We say what? Oh, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so, he passed or she passed. We don't like to use that word. So, so I'm just thinking about the word pass. I'm talking about somebody dying. So that's why I use that word. There's a second reason why I use that word, because it starts with a P, and it kind of goes with my outline. When we think about somebody passing, we're thinking about their death. Did you know that death is humanity's public enemy number one? Death is public enemy number one for all of us. And the Bible calls death the very last enemy. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. He took captive public enemy number one. And he's no longer public enemy number one. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Paul said, or excuse me, um, Luke wrote, God raised him up, Jesus, because it was not possible that he, Jesus, should be held by it. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave. We just sang about it. You know, there's an old fable that was told of a spider who saw the, a lion go into a cave. And he despised that lion because he was the king of the jungle. And so he decided when that lion went into that cave, he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imprison that lion. And so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so he can never be free again. So he began to weave a web across that cave, spun back and forth, back and forth, spun, 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 back and forth, up and down, right and left. And he made this web over that cave. He said, now that lion is my prisoner. Now I have him captivated. He'll never be king of the jungle ever again. He'll never be free to bask in the sunlight because now he's my prisoner. And when that old lion woke up from his nap, he shook the dust off of his mane. He yawned and stretched. Then he let out a big old roar and it just kind of echoed through the, through, the, through the jungle. Everybody heard it. And then that lion started walking toward the exit of that tomb, I mean that cave. And he walked right through it. He never even knew that there was a web there. That's what the web of death was to Jesus. He never even knew it was there. He walked right through it. You know, Satan thought that death had held the king of kings captive in the tomb. But the Lion of Judah rose up and walked right out. Never even recognizing that, that web of death. Jesus is alive. And he's alive for you and me. Have you ever wondered how the disciples were so motivated and so able to endure all the physical abuse that they suffered in their lives? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered that? How, how were they able to do that? Because they knew the resurrection power. They had seen it firsthand. They had seen the resurrection of Christ. Now I started thinking about the Apostle Paul. The Bible says that he really faced death every single day of his life. He was always on the threshold of death. 
I think Paul would look at his death and he would consider that for a moment. And he'd look back and he'd see the power of the resurrection. You know what the Apostle Paul would say then? He would say, death, oh, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? You know, just a few moments ago, we sang about you know, Jesus uh, being able to uh, get free from that grave. No grave could hold him down. And just now, we just read a, a verse out of Scripture that says, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's been conquered. It's been swallowed up. We ought to give the Lord Jesus a big applause. Amen? He's alive. Not only that, but we had the power to prevail. I don't know about you, but do you ever get tired of just a mundane spiritual life? Do you ever get tired of just a normal, just ordinary Christian walk? Nothing extraordinary. You know, we all come to the cross broken. We all come to the cross sinners. We're all that way. None of us are any different. None of us are immune from sin. And from brokenness. But you know, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us as his followers. You know what I think when I, when I realize that? God has given us the power to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I think some people just love to bask in their brokenness. But yet we have the power of Christ, the resurrected of, of, uh, power of Christ living in us. And he gives us the victory. He gives us the ability to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And when you come and you ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you, he forgives you. And he does the same thing over and over. And he gives you power to prevail. I want, to, I want the power of the resurrection to be evident in my life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You know what I think about the power of the resurrection? The power of the resurrection is a transforming power. The, the power of the resurrection gives you the power to live differently. Newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The power of the resurrection is a transforming power. Yes, we come to him broken, but God begins to restore us and give us victory through Christ. You know what the resurrection power does? It takes a spiritually dead man and makes him live again. That's resurrection power. Now I ask myself, how could Paul be so certain that you'd be a new man? Because he knew resurrection power. I want to give you last, one last thought. Resurrection power also gives you the power to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then go back to verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. Now, how were they able to do that? By what power? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Jesus told them before he ascended. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me. You'll be witnesses. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I just can't witness. Are you saying... That you can't do what Jesus says he's given you the power to do? Are you saying, when you say that, that the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot enable you to be able to give a witness to him? The only reason we can't witness is because we suppress the power that God has given us. We put it in a box. God has given us power to be his witnesses. And you have the power to proclaim the gospel. 
Do you ever think about how simple the gospel is? The Apostle Paul gave the gospel in just two verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4, just two simple verses. It's the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Well, what was that? That Christ died, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And he rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. That's very simple. That is the gospel in just two verses. And God has empowered us to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And then I think about a simple invitation that Jesus gives. It's like this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. A simple gospel and a simple invitation. I love the story of Watchman Nee saved during his time in communist China. On April 29, 1920, he wrote this. He said, I was alone in my room and I was struggling whether or not to believe in the Lord. He said, at first I was reluctant, but as I tried to pray, I saw the magnitude of my sins and the reality that Jesus is the Savior. He said, I could visualize in my mind the Lord's hands stretched out on the cross. They seemed to be welcoming me, saying to me, I am waiting here to receive you. He said, I realized the effectiveness of Christ's blood in cleansing my sins. And being overwhelmed by, by such love, I accepted him right there. He said, previously, I, began to, I would laugh at people when they accepted Jesus as their Lord. He said, but that day, my salvation became a reality in Christ. He said, as I made my first prayer, I knew the joy and peace such as I'd never known before. And then he said later, he said, you know, when I became a Christian, I had this spontaneous desire to share the gospel with, with my friends. He said, after a year of witnessing to them, I'd won nobody to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, then one day I met a missionary. And this missionary said to me, Watchman, how many people have you won to Christ? He said, I hung my head low. I was embarrassed. I said, none, despite all my efforts. And this missionary said, well, you know why? Because there's something between you and God. There's something between you and God that you need to get cleared up. Are you willing to do that? Watchman, he said, yes, I am definitely willing to do that. And he went before God, and he came clean before God. And he removed all those things that were between him and God. And he went back to that missionary, and that missionary said, Now, I want you to write a list of all the people that you want to see God saved. He said, I wrote down a list of 70 names. And this missionary said, Begin to pray for them every single day. And as you pray, begin to look for open doors that God will give you to share the gospel with those 70 people. So Watchman Nee said, I prayed for those 70 people every day single day, sometimes every hour, I was praying for those names. He said, and I would witness to them, and they, they really didn't want to hear anything I had to say. And that went on for a while. He said, but I kept praying. He said, and by the Lord's grace, after just several months, 69 of those 70 came to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. We have power to proclaim and if God can give Watchman Nee the power to proclaim the gospel in communist China, I think he can give you and I the power to proclaim the gospel in council culture America.
we need boldness to proclaim. Amen? Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you living in resurrected power this morning? As we come to our invitation, that's our invitation. Are you living in resurrected power? Do you have the power of peace in your life? Have you known the power of purity? Do you realize the power that God has given you over death? We have victory. We don't need to live in fear. Are you living in the power to prevail? Are you living in the power to proclaim the good news of the gospel? Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Lord, thank you so much for the good news of the resurrection. And Lord, when we think about the power, it's just overwhelming. And Lord, I just realized how under-challenged we really are when it comes to living the spirit-filled life, when it comes to living the living in the power of the resurrection, we're just under-challenged. And Lord, I just pray right now as we come to these moments of our invitation that your Holy Spirit would pinpoint anything in our life that's out of whack. And Lord, maybe we just come this morning and confess it and come back to you. Maybe we've wandered away from you. Or maybe there's somebody who doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray before this invitation is over, they will come to this altar and kneel and come clean before you. Some seeking you as Savior, some seeking restoration, some seeking the power of, of, of peace, some seeking maybe the power of purity, some people seeking, Lord, this morning, maybe the power to prevail or pro proclaim the good news. I don't know. But, Lord, I know your Holy Spirit's at work. Help us to respond to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation is real simple. If the Lord's been working with you this morning, maybe even before you got here, this altar is open. You are welcome to come. If you need to know the Lord Jesus, I would love to talk to you. Would you come this morning? Would you stand as we sing this morning?